As you have probably heard by now, the Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger, who was found guilty for the murder of Botham Jean, was given a 10-year prison sentence. I want to unpack and explain that sentence, what it means, what it doesn't, and then talk about some of the fallout, some of the blowback from the response to the verdict, both from the family and from the judge and from a bailiff there in the courtroom. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. Earlier this week, I had serious doubts as to whether or not Dallas police officer Amber Geiger was even going to be convicted of a crime after the instructions that the judge, Judge Kemp, gave the jury about the stand your ground laws in Texas, seemingly indicating to the jury that the Castle Doctrine, the law stating that a person is allowed to defend themselves in their home because their home is their castle, that this castle doctrine was going to apply to Amber Geiger in Botham Jean's home. Uh, the night of that ruling, me and even some of the attorneys in the case and others, we were deeply concerned. I think the entire country was deeply concerned. But later that day, to our surprise, the jury indeed convicted Amber Geiger of murder. But so much of what happened yesterday in the sentencing of Amber Geiger was surprising. Some of it was disgusting. Some of it was perplexing. Some of it was problematic. And all of it was deep and had many layers to it. And for all of you who aren't from Texas, In Texas, the jury decides on sentencing and convenes immediately after the conviction. So if someone is found guilty of a crime in the morning, probably after lunch, the judge will convene the jury, the prosecution and the defense, and they will begin making their cases on what the sentencing should be. And it's a it's a process that's somewhat unique to Texas, but it began right after the conviction and took about a whole day. It started on the day before yesterday and then continued. The prosecution, and when they do this, the prosecution and the defense are allowed to present their cases without many of the same rules that are present in the trial. And again, in this sentencing phase, the prosecution was actually amazing. And I have to say that because prosecutions are never amazing when it comes down to convicting a police officer. And they not only brought people out, the prosecution, from every facet of Botham Jean's life, but they also showed Amber Geiger's horrible record as a police officer, and they showed a litany of racist and problematic text messages and memes that she had sent and received from throughout her career. And the jury was then instructed... This is, again, after they've already found her guilty. The jury was instructed that they could give Amber Geiger anywhere from five years at a minimum. She was convicted of murder. Five years at a minimum to 99 years in prison. 
And ultimately, the family and their attorneys asked for her to receive a year for every year that Botham was alive, which was 26 years. But after a few hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a sentence that was almost as short as it could get. They gave Amber Geiger 10 years, but she'll have the possibility of parole in five. If you don't mind, I want to break down that 10-year sentence. Let me break it down. Break it down. In almost every developed country in the world, a 10-year sentence is seen as a very long sentence. My very first article, I have to go way back, I was hired by Jim Rich, who was the editor-in-chief of the New York Daily News. I was working at Daily Coast as a social justice writer there, and I was hired by the New York Daily News to become the senior justice writer for the New York Daily News. And my very first article was about how arbitrary, my very first article for the New York Daily News was about how arbitrary sentencing in America is and how, in my research, I found that Prison sentences are given, even if you think about what we said in this sentence, that she was given 10 years but could get out in five. In America, prison sentences are given out in weird multiples of of five, of seven, and not for any reason that has to do with science, with human nature. We like to count by fives and tens, five, 10, 15, 20. And so many prison sentences, like she's given 10 years, but could get out in five, which is half of the sentence. Like there's no, there's no science behind it. And the, tr- the truth is, if you are able to, for a moment, to divorce yourself from what you know about American prison sentences, The truth is, 10 years of your life, not even talking about prison, just 10 years is a long time. A lot can happen in 10 years. I have a daughter who's 10 years old, and when I think all the way back to her birth, it seems like forever ago, the notion of missing those 10 years, I couldn't fathom it. And in most developed countries around the world, a 10-year prison sentence is often the sentence given for a murder, for the most serious crimes. And here's the thing. All time in prison is hard time. And anybody who says otherwise, uh, they've probably never even visited a jail or prison. Everybody working in and for America's legal system should at the very least have to spend time visiting prisons to understand just how difficult the time is. I worked for years as a teacher and as a a guidance counselor in jails and prisons around Georgia. But even though a 10-year prison sentence is long everywhere outside of the United States, people get 10 years for anything in the United States. Even though a year is hard time, as a justice reform advocate, I am rarely one to fight for somebody to get longer and harsher sentences. And here's why. When we fight for people, so when a sentence is made, like let's say this sentence 
for Amber Geiger, where she was given 10 years. Well, that sentence is not going to change, okay? But say we raise such a fuss about it, which is what happened after the sentencing of Brock Turner. You may remember the Stanford University student who sexually assaulted a woman but was given basically a couple of months in, j- in a local jail for his felonious crime. Well, people came out and said, no, no, for that crime, we have to have a mandatory minimum of fill in the blank. Well, say we do that after the sentencing of Amber Geiger. No, 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 no. If you shoot and kill someone in their home, you should get a mandatory minimum of 20 years. And so say Texas passes that law. And and let me clue you in on something. Whenever non-conservatives start saying we need a mandatory minimum or this crime needs a longer sentence, conservatives and Democrats, Republicans and Democrats will work together and make that law pass right away. Anytime the prison industrial complex hears you, hears anybody of influence saying we need longer prison sentences for X, Y, Z type of crime, they'll make that a law quick, fast and in a hurry. But guess what? In the future, they will rarely apply that law to Amber Geigers because Amber Geigers are never charged in the first place. Brock Turners are rarely charged. Guess who they apply that mandatory minimum to? Almost in mass, almost completely from top to bottom. Not Amber Geiger, not Brock Turner, but to young black and brown people. And so we campaign for harsher sentencing that's then not used on the Amber Geigers and Brock Turners of the world. It's just used on black and brown people from coast to coast. And so I'm not normally an advocate of longer and harsher sentences, but I will say it is painful to see someone get 10 years in prison with the possibility of parole in five after they were convicted of murder. Mind you, she was not convicted of manslaughter, not reckless homicide, but murder. Now, when nearly everybody I know in my entire ecosystem, we all know someone personally who did longer than that in prison for drugs. Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick received 28 years in federal prison for financial crimes and is expected to have to serve all or nearly all of his 28 years. In 2016, a young black man shot and killed a police dog. I'm not advocating any such thing. That's that's not cool. He received 45 years in prison. 45 years in prison. And it's just painful to consistently see the book get thrown at millions of people. Then to see Amber Geiger given so many breaks in this case. Now, after she was sentenced, there were several things that happened that had not just black Twitter, but had the entire internet up in arms. And people fell on many different sides of the issue, depending on, I saw 
depending on people's age, depending on their faith, depending on their nationality, where they were from in the world, depending on so many different types of variables, it really influenced how people came down on this. Let me explain it. Break it down. down. First, I want to have a little truth in journalism. My family and I have grown close with the family of Botham Jean. They are sweet, kind, compassionate, brilliant, resilient people. And you won't hear me say anything bad about them on this podcast or in life. They've become our friends. And I have a policy in life. It's simple. Don't talk bad about your friends. <laughs> and here's the thing. If you have friends and you have a critique, if you must, say it to them personally or directly. I, I want to talk for a few minutes about what Botham Jean's little brother Brant did in the courtroom. But first I want to clear something up. Several members of Botham's family and the judge in the case, Judge Kemp, made statements and had actions that I'm about to talk about. And several people were erroneously saying that these actions took place before Amber Geiger was sentenced. And that's just not true. These actions primarily took place after Amber Geiger was sentenced. Because a lot of people were saying, oh, oh, my God, these actions caused the jury to give that light sentence. And that's just not how it went down. And um, I I just want to clear that up first. After Amber Geiger was sentenced, a few people in the courtroom, including the judge, made statements. And I want to talk about it. I think it's insightful. And I think it shows just how complex these cases are. After Amber Geiger was sentenced, Botham's little brother, Brant, who was a teenager, said that he forgave Amber Geiger. And I have to say, you probably understood this already, but Botham was deeply religious and the entire family is deeply religious. My wife and I traveled to St. Lucia after Botham was murdered. And the entire island is a very, it might be one of the most religious islands I've ever been to. Faith, religion, it is just a deeply embedded part of being St. Lucian. It is very much a part of their national identity and of the culture of the island. And all of the family carries that with them. But they particularly carry it, uh, Botham's father, Bertram, is a practicing minister. And in many ways, Botham was a minister as well. He was not only a worship leader, but ministry, Christian ministry was a big part of his life. And I think uh, his young brother, Brant, probably very much feels a responsibility to carry on the faith of his brother as he knew it, as he understood it. And I also have to go back and remember when I was a teenager and what my what my practice of faith was like when I was Brant's age versus what it is now at 40. I, I turned 40 two weeks ago. And this world has a way of squeezing a lot of the idealism out of you. 
and a lot of the idealistic parts of faith out of you. And so what Brandt did, staring Amber Geiger in the face, saying that he forgave her in part because he thought it was what both of them would do, he then asked the judge if he could give her a hug. And it so shocked the judge and shocked many people in the courtroom. It it was disarming. And he got permission from the judge. And there was this emotional moment and there were whelps and tears in the courtroom as Amber Geiger, a, I, I will say at the very least, slightly bigoted, police officer who walked into Brant's brother's apartment and shot and killed him to see this woman who has just been sentenced to prison. And again, we can debate the length of the sentence. Then have this embrace was a complicated moment. And some of what makes it complicated has nothing to do with Brant. Brandt is one individual, uh, Brandt is one person, and for Brandt, Botham's younger brother, you have to understand this is not a news story. This is not a trending topic. This is not a hashtag. This is not a case study. Whereas so many of you who are listening may have been paying particular attention to this case over the past few days, the family of Botham Jean has thought about it every single day for the past 13 months since their brother and son was killed. And so for Brandt, the conviction and the sentencing wasn't the culmination of a few days of court TV. It was the culmination of 13 painful months of dealing with the sudden horrible murder of his brother. And so I just ask that you not assume what you would do if you were Brandt, because you aren't Brandt. I would ask that you not assume that all of the ideas that you have in your head today, having not had your brother shot and killed when you were a teenager, like you just don't know how you would think or feel if you were him, if I were him, because we're not him. We're not that family. And it is easy And I think I'm sensitive to it, one, because I've come to know the family. But I think I'm also sensitive to it because I also regularly see people say what they would do, what they would say, who they would be if they were me. And I look at it and I think, you have no idea what you would say or do or be if you were me. You have no idea what it's like to be me. And if you were me for a little bit, you would want to snap your fingers and go back to being who you were because it is hard. And my life is not all on social media. It is, it is, it is a difficult, challenging day to day grind. And many of us who want to assume we would have done something different than what Brandt did. uh, You don't know. I think some of what's going on there also is that, We are so tired of police violence. We are so tired of 
white supremacist violence. We are so tired of white people in America's legal system getting a completely different deal than everybody else, that all of those emotions for us are wrapped up into that moment. And that's not the moment that Brandt was having. You have to understand, Botham was his big brother. And if this is what he felt he wanted or needed to do, I just have to say that's his business. He did that on his own. Nobody advised him to do it. He didn't give anybody a hint or a clue that he was going to do it. And had he sought my advice or Lee Merritt, the attorney for the family's advice, I don't know what Lee or I would have advised him to do. But he didn't seek our advice in that moment. It was his moment. You have to understand that while we might have been into this trial or this case for a few days, this family, they're making decisions out of the pain that they've been experiencing. And some people were saying that Brent saying or doing this influenced the decision. Again, that did not influence the sentence. This happened after the sentencing. But there are two other people in the courtroom who did some things that I am actually very, very concerned about. Let me talk about it. Break it down. Down. I absolutely do have to address the actions of two other people in the courtroom that actually were disturbing. I do have to say, again, I was not the judge in this case. I was not in the courtroom in this case. I did not oversee this case. I do not have a relationship with Amber Geiger. I do not live in Dallas. And again, I have to say this because I understand what it's like for outsiders to think they know what they would do in somebody else's position. But you may have seen first a video of a black woman who was a bailiff, the police officer in the courtroom, petting Amber Geiger's hair. That is actually wildly inappropriate. Uh, A lot of people said, hold on, she can't just be over there petting Amber Geiger. That's not what the bailiff is doing, right? And I wondered as well, because it seemed so absurd that a bailiff would just be over there in front of the entire court on camera, just petting her. And that is what happened. Several police officers confirmed When I say that's what happened, I mean, that is visibly what happened. But several police officers confirmed some people were saying that uh, she was checking her hair for contraband. And several police officers said, no, no, that's that's not what was happening. The woman was petting her hair. And it, it is something I have literally never seen before in the thousands of cases that I have studied and observed and looked at. I have never seen or heard of such a thing of a criminal defendant being charged and convicted of murder being petted on by the police officer in charge of keeping order in the room. It's, it's a wild thing. I, I have a problem with it, and part of why I have a problem with it, hear me, It's not because I want to see, listen, it's not because I want to see courtrooms without compassion. It's not because I want to see courtrooms that have harsher sentences. But 
I never see anything like this with anybody other than a white woman police officer. Now, the second thing that happened is is wild. Again, I think you can cut and paste it and remove it from its context and it becomes really weird. And you have to kind of view it in the context, but it is something I've never seen or heard of. After the sentencing, Judge Kemp, who is a middle-aged black woman judge there in Dallas County, and I do have to say that she has been openly, boldly endorsed when she ran. This is an elected position. Uh, many, many countries don't have elected judge, judges, by the way. We can debate the merit on that on another episode. But she was regularly endorsed by the Dallas Police Officers Union and their pack. The Dallas police officers love her. She loves them. She has said so. She has frequently appeared in in photos and photo ops with police officers. They donated financially to her campaign. After Amber Geiger was sentenced, Judge Kemp got off of the bench, came down and hugged Amber Geiger, now someone convicted of murder, gave Amber Geiger her personal Bible and then told her some scriptures that she should read. Uh, It was a breathtaking moment. And again, what has many people irate is that I have seen, we all have seen young black boys and girls tried as adults sometimes as young as 12, 13, 14 years old, given 20 years, 30 years, life sentences, and never seen a judge bat an eye, flash a smile, wink, certainly not come down from the bench and hug, caress, pet them, give them gifts, Bibles, scriptures. I am not arguing that all of these things should never happen in the courtroom. It's just wild that the first time we've ever seen them happen in the courtroom is with a white woman police officer who was convicted of murdering a black man in their home. And so I I think this was a very, very unique case. And I think if anything, what we see is proof that America's legal system, we, we are trying not to call it the justice system because there's so little justice. America's legal system, it just does not value all lives equally. It doesn't. With that said, I want to close with this thought. An enormous team of people, many of whom are my close friends, worked hard to secure this conviction, to even get that sentence felt like a breakthrough because so many other police officers have shot and killed people in the worst circumstances and never spent a day in jail. And I want to commend everybody who worked hard on this case, complicated though it may be. And I want to thank Botham's mother, Allison, for her remarks to the media for making it clear that Dallas 
has a lot more work to do to confront corruption and bigotry in its department. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Break, 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 break,